Black Tech Green Money isn't just about telling the stories of successful black entrepreneurs. It's also about giving actionable and wealth building strategies that help you protect the future of our communities. That's why we're pleased to be supported by State Farm Insurance. State Farm also believes that we must invest in our communities to achieve economic growth by sponsoring programs like the AXO, which rewards high school students for their academic achievements. State Farm believes that being better neighbors creates better communities. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. If you're looking for the most epic place on earth, let's start at the base of a massive waterfall. Then trek through the thick jungle. Then climb to the peak of a snowy mountaintop. Then once you get there, keep going. Because with intelligent 4x4 and 7 drive modes and a Nissan Pathfinder, the search is the real adventure. Available feature. Intelligent 4x4 cannot prevent collisions or provide enhanced traction in all conditions. Always monitor traffic and weather conditions. My dad works in B2B marketing, but I never really knew what that meant. Then one day my dad came by my school for career day and told everyone in my class he was a big MQL man. Then he just kept saying things like, the more MQLs, the better, over and over. My friends still laugh at me to this day. I think it means marketing qualified lead. One thing's for sure. I'll be known as the MQL man's kid for the rest of my days. Why couldn't you just be a fireman or a lawyer? Why? You ruined my life, Dad. Not everyone gets B2B, but LinkedIn has the people who do. And with ads on LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people based on job title, industry, likelihood to buy, and more. Start converting your B2B audience into high-quality leads today. We'll even give you $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash customer to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash customer. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. Term Sheets. The Afrotech miniseries available on YouTube about venture capital in New York City. February 2020. Richard Kirby is general partner at Equal Ventures, a VC firm based in New York City. And we're sitting on set discussing what it takes to not only be a VC, but what are the characteristics of a good VC? What is the makeup of a successful VC? And how do I know if the gig is a fit for my personality and profile? Yeah, I think the the traits for an individual are just inherent in somebody else. It's not really about like what you studied in school. It's much more about like who you are as an individual. Are you intellectually curious? Are you, um, do you enjoy learning about different things? And I guess lastly, do you enjoy helping others? Those are really three points that are, you know, inherent to anybody that could make them an efficient, or sorry, a, a successful venture capitalist. Because at the end of the day, sourcing is a big piece. So finding companies, and that means, do you get excited by finding new things? Like, um, you can see that in any industry. You could get excited by finding the rare sneaker that you haven't seen come out yet, or that new track on Spotify you haven't heard yet. That excites people, and finding a new company excites venture capitalists. Um, doing diligence, so, you know, diving deep to figure out, you know, what this company do? What space are they in? How can this company get very, very large? That's just learning. If you enjoy learning, you'll enjoy diving deep on a company, understanding how it works or the industry that it, that it operates in. And lastly, you know, uh, when you're on a board of a company or an investor, you're trying to do everything possible to help that company. You know, try to give them as many unfair advantages as possible so that the founder has less on their plate and the team has less on their plate. And that's all that is really is helping people. So if you enjoy helping people, that's a great way to kind of manifest that uh, inherent trait of yours to you know do good for a company. I'm Will Lucas, and this is Black Tech, Green Money. I'm going to introduce you to some of the biggest names, some of the brightest minds, and brilliant ideas. If you're black in building or simply using tech to secure your bag, 
This podcast is for you. Hey, Donahue Baker is co-founder and CEO of Money Avenue, which provides funding across a variety of products like residential home loans, investment property loans, business loans and lines of credit, and personal finance solutions. An emerging fintech company, they were ranked as one of the fastest growing companies in America by Inc. Magazine. We talk a lot about generational wealth in our community, but do all the people who talk about it really know what it is? Is it a dollar amount? How do I know if I've hit it? Or is it a system? Yeah, so one of the things that that's that's a great question, but one of the, the misconceptions is generational wealth is just si- simply making sacrifices in your own personal life that will benefit the next generation, right? Um, I'll tell you exactly what I did in my family. So I have a three-year-old son. His name is Legacy. But when he was two years old, I basically, through a trust, was able to purchase a six-unit apartment building in Newark, New Jersey. That apartment building is fully paid for, and it's going to do two big things for him. Number one, it's going to pay for his college education completely at the time when he's ready to go to college. But number two, let's say he doesn't want to go to college or chooses not to go to college. He's going to have a monthly income that he can use to subsidize his living expenses or pursue whatever endeavors, whatever his God-given talents apply for. So that's a sacrifice that I made that I can pass on to the next generation. And hopefully he does the same. And that's generational wealth. And it doesn't take a whole bunch of money to do it. It really just takes a plan. So if I say I've built generational wealth, like at what number have I built generational wealth? Or is it an an actual number depending on my circumstances? Or is it a system? It's a system. It's really a system. So, you know, taking taking my son, right? So uh, he's a six unit apartment building in North New Jersey, each unit gets about $1,500 per month, right? And inflation, and that's rents that haven't been raised through COVID, rents are going up. But by the time he's 18 years old, rents are gonna be even you know, higher than what they are now for sure, right? Not to mention the inflationary effects that's gonna take place. So it's a system that can be passed on. And that system really is done really only through two ways, right? The first way that we just spoke about is real estate. That's one way, but also uh, being an entrepreneur, setting up a business, doing something like that, that's a, that's another system that we need more of. We need more creators, we need more entrepreneurs, and that's what we try to do at Money Ave, focus on those two paths, the real estate path and the entrepreneurship path. So when I first started getting like super serious about my finances some years ago, you know, and especially like being a husband and being a father, you know, I started, you know, asking people who do this, you know, about how they do. And often you hear uh, wealthy people talk about things like insurance and life insurance specifically. And, you know, how most of us get introduced to insurance is like car insurance. And but there is you know, life insurance has like funding mechanisms to where you can actually use that money to do things. And I'm interested in your take on, you know, so often we have these conversations about how to fund our business ideas and, and get companies going in our community. And, you know, in other communities, they can talk about, you know, where you can go raise twenty five, thirty five, forty five thousand dollars from, you know, friends and family. And, and I don't know where you come from, but I don't know a lot of people with families that can write, you know, those thousands and thousands of dollar checks. So I wonder what your thoughts are on what are some less thought about sources of funding to start businesses that we may not consider often. Well, one of the ways that 
we really like to show creators how to fully become entrepreneurs and establishing businesses is leveraging their business credit. That's one of the ways that really underutilized, right? So the example that I give is taking our, our ex-president Donald Trump. So Donald Trump has over 500 LLCs. One of the things that people do not realize is that in 1992, Donald Trump filed for bankruptcy. Uh, he actually filed for bankruptcy twice that we know of in 92 and in 91. The same week that he did both bankruptcy filings, he established four new LLCs and leveraged the business credit of those LLCs the same week he filed for bankruptcy, right? So the point that I'm trying to make with that is that a lot of people don't really understand the power of the LLC. And when you understand the power of the LLC, that as a separate legal entity, you're able to leverage the business credit of that LLC. So what we do is we help people to set up LLCs and do just that, leverage their business credit. So for every LLC that you have, we basically help you get at least $50,000 of business credit that is not attached to your personal credit profile. Because most entrepreneurs, first thing they do is they leverage their personal credit. And we know that 90% of businesses fail, and that leaves you in a worse state than before. So going back to the analogy, if we just follow the same thing, the same path that Donald Trump has done, you know, we can also emulate a lot of those business practices. And I think that's going to encourage more creators to really walk the entrepreneurship path, to take more risk, start businesses, at least use the $50,000 to prove the concept of the business, right? That's really the key. Yeah, it's it's so interesting you say that because, you know, for whatever you think about like Donald Trump and how he was as president, like he used the system that the United States has to his advantage, you know, whether that be, you know, you think you're talking about companies like Amazon and Apple and others who you hear these stories about how they pay little to no taxes and, you know, whatever Donald Trump did and whatever he paid or didn't pay in taxes and using the advantages of LLCs or whatever, um, you know, he used the system that we have in the United States to his benefit. And, you know, our thing is like, we want to make sure that people are knowledgeable to use the system to bit to their benefit because our country is set up for business. And so what do you say to that? You know, when you're, when you're trying to get people to reframe in their mind, um, what they think about income and taxes and investments. Mm -hmm. No, absolutely. Um, and, and one of the things, I'm also a CPA, but one of the things that I've tried to build into our system is how do we really put ourselves to follow the best possible tax strategy? So um, if you're not, if you're not either a, a landowner, which is rich as real estate, or an entrepreneur, the system is not set up for you. Right. The, the system is really set up to benefit those that are own business owners. So you think about small business and big business. Amazon can make a billion dollars and pay no net taxes. Right. It's because the, the system, the IRS, the IRS code gives tremendous benefits for entrepreneurs and creators. Right. And also people that own real estate. They're the ones that really are can structure their path so that they have the minimal tax hit as possible, right? So I'm in real estate myself. I'm a real estate developer. I own over 500 units. I've reached a, a position that's called, well, it's a classification. It's called real estate professional. Once you get to that level, 100% of your expenses can be written off, right? And and most people, to me, that's the nirvana of, of uh, 
tax strategy because whatever I do, if it's, you know, what my whole lifestyle is structured around tax savings and whatever I, whatever expenses I, I get is offset against earned income, the rental income that comes in through my units as a landlord. You know, I don't necessarily get taxed the same way that someone with W-2 income is taxed. So, yeah, we got to go in here because when I learned that employees pay taxes first and business owners pay taxes on what's left over, like the whole game changed for me because, you know, like, it, yeah, it's when you're an employee and you work for somebody and you get that check on Friday. Yes, yeah, it's, it's a great day on Friday, but the government, Uncle Sam already then took his out. You know, when I get paid or when you get paid a Donahue, like you get the you get the whole check and then you got to figure out, okay, what am I going to spend this on so that at the end of it, I get the full benefit of it. And I don't then I'm going to pay Uncle Mm -hmm. Sam on whatever I have left over after I've squeezed out as much as I legally can. Well, you you hit the nail right on the head with with everything you just said. So I know I know for uh, for example, you know you and one of the things that we do at Money App is give people the paradigm, right? But you you hit the nail on the head. So let me address for those individuals that are listening out there how to really structure your business so that you have the minimum tax the minimum tax hit, right? So number one, you need a bank account. Whenever you get a check, you should have a business. Whatever what, whatever line of work that you're in, startup, non-startup, technology, non-technology, you should have a business account, right? Now, Money App, we have free business accounts. You can set up, a, really, we try to disrupt the typical banks. You can set up a, a business banking account, but your check should come into that account, right? And then from that account, you should have separately a personal bank account. So you have a business account, pay yourself first, personal, put that from the business, the check comes into the business account, then you pay the personal account. But also you should have a business tax account, right? You also should have a business operating account. It's important to separate these funnels of of cash flow. Number one, so you can make it easier for your tax professional to do your taxes at the end of the year. But also this is the savings, right? So let's say you get a check for $10,000 goes into your business account. Normally put 30% of that. So 3000 goes into your tax account. Let's say you, you want to pay yourself, um, you know, 10, 15%, whatever you need to live on 20%, 2000 goes into the personal account. Me personally, every LLC that I have, I also have an operating account, right? So I can track my, my ink, my, my, who am I paying? So I'm paying my bills on time. My operating account is the account that I use day to day and I can follow that ledger and I can see, well, this, you know, this is a vendor here. I don't know. I didn't pay that vendor. I can track fraud, things like that. You know, so that's the structure, right? So basically just in a, you know, any, any basic business, that's four accounts that I just mentioned. You should have the business account, which really shouldn't be forward facing. It should be a business that no one can sue. It could be a holding company, something that only you would know. And then pass when that when that check comes into that, we pass it to the personal account. We pay ourselves, 
right? Then we pass it to a tax account. So we're never, and a lot of businesses pay on a quarterly basis, but we want to make sure that we fund that tax account so that we're not scrambling at the end of the year to pay a big tax bill. But if you do it right, do it the way I said it, your operating account, you hand that operating account over to your CPA or your tax professional, and they're going to have an itemized list of what you spend on and what can be deducted from the tax liability that you created each quarter. So hope I didn't get too in depth, but that's, that's, the, that's, the, that's the formula. Seeing our communities grow and thrive is something we care deeply about here at Black Tech Green Money. State Farm Insurance also cares about the growth of black communities. They're actively investing in programs and initiatives that help provide financial literacy, give early career advice, and grow black-owned businesses, thus leading to generational wealth, which helps protect the future of our communities. We want to build a future that we all can be proud of. State Farm understands that representation alone doesn't equate to authenticity. It also requires active sponsorship of programs like the AXO, a year-long program that recognizes and rewards high school students for their academic and cultural achievements along with funding programs like Project Ready, a national urban league program committed to educational achievement of black and brown youth that has awarded over $11 million in scholarship offers to date. State Farm believes that being better neighbors creates better communities and can have a long-lasting impact. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. If you're looking for the most epic place on earth, let's start at the base of a massive waterfall. Then trek through the thick jungle. Then climb to the peak of a snowy mountaintop. Then once you get there, keep going. Because with intelligent 4x4 and 7 drive modes and a Nissan Pathfinder, the search is the real adventure. Available feature. Intelligent 4x4 cannot prevent collisions or provide enhanced traction in all conditions. Always monitor traffic and weather conditions. How do we level the playing field for all entrepreneurs? 55% of white businesses survive the startup phase, while only 4% of black businesses do the same. So I want every black entrepreneur to know about the One Million Black Businesses Initiative. The One Million Black Businesses Initiative is an award-winning program created by Shopify and Operation Hope. They're on a mission to start, grow, and scale one million black businesses by 2030, driving wealth creation for the black community. Out of 6 million employer-owned businesses in the U.S., only 2.3% have black ownership. This program gives black entrepreneurs tools and resources to level the playing field. From free business coaching to tailored training and extended free Shopify trial. Shopify's made a 10-year, multi-million dollar commitment to the program, and it's working. The initiative already started, supported, and engaged with over 334,000 black businesses, helping them operate businesses that sell anything from skateboards to coffee beans to apparel. Business owners love this program. Simone Harvin, founder of SC Creative Group, says, The 1 million black businesses experience for me was unlike any other program I've been a part of, primarily because it was for us and it was by us. Here at Drink Champs, we are always interacting with our listeners, many being black entrepreneurs. Shopify is one of those platforms that empowers and emboldens entrepreneurship. So chart your own path for business success with the One Million Black Businesses Initiative and Shopify. Bring your business to Shopify with an exclusive offer at shopify.com slash B-E-N, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash B-E-N. You know, so there's so much here, so many different lanes we can go in. And I understand this is a podcast and not everything. We won't be able to go like super duper deep on every topic. So it's so important that, you know, our audience um, is, is number one, subscribe to the podcast, but number one, following you so that 
they can go deeper on the topics that you're talking about. And so I, I will switch gears in, in a little bit because I'm, I'm interested in your conversation on, you know, when I learned this principle, um, it was later than I wish I would have learned it, but I, I did learn it and some people still haven't learned it. So you're going to learn it today. Um, this concept about reinvesting the profits, because you know, what happens too often in our businesses is we will start a business. We will start a company and start, you know, making some money, make some check, whether we're working a day job. And then now we got this side hustle, we make money on that side hustle, make money on that, you know, 10 PM to 2 AM business. And then we get that check and now we go spend it because we got money that we didn't have before. So now all of a sudden we buy an appetizers. We didn't use to buy appetizers. You know, we, we went out to eat. Now all of a sudden you putting cheese on it. And so I wonder what is your take on this, this way of thinking like every dollar you can afford to put back in the business helps you to grow the business. And instead make sure that you are not um, taking the money out when you should be. If you, if you bought it for $5 and you sold it for 10, put the five that you originally put in, put it back in and then put the extra five that you earned. And now you've got $10 invested instead of $5 invested. And you can continue to grow and scale your business that way. That's super important, really. And, and just as founders or, or entrepreneurs, we have to take the position that you know, every dollar that you pull out of your business, you're actually hurting your business. So you want more and more dollars to be in your business so that you can multiply them as fast as possible, right? You want to get the maximum amount of ROI. Business or entrepreneurship, it's better than, and the wealthy know this, they would rather not have money just sitting in a bank account. You want that money to be working for you. And when you pull it out, like if you have a business that's thriving, that means you're probably getting a great ROI on your money. Better than you can get in the stock market, better than you can get by, by uh, investing in even, you know, uh, aftermarket stocks. It's just a tremendous entrepreneurship is the number one return, the number one ROI that you're going to get on your investment. You do not want to Put, pull money out of that. So that's what I tell my clients and, and, and really at Money Ave, we want to help more creators understand that metric. And that's one of the key metrics that are out there. So what we do is, let's say after you've proven the concept of your business, one of the key things that you have to do is scale and you need capital to scale. But the, the, the best thing to do is have capital that is generated from your business, but most businesses that are that have the ability to have high growth, they need external investment. They need people from the outside to invest in them. That's un, that's one thing that we do that other financial institutions don't do. Businesses that are high growth, we get funding for you in terms of um, VC funding. Where we have an angel syndicate in which we will invest. Uh, below 250,000 in businesses that can scale, but it's the same process. You would much rather um, get the, the money that you need to scale and grow from the business itself. But most businesses definitely to scale on a large level need that external investment. And we want to show people how to, how to do it the best way possible. So what you just said was so important. And, and here's what I hear. And when you, when you talk about, you know, having money sitting, what yes. I hear is what I hear is you, there is a such thing as having too much cash in the bank. There's a such thing as being too liquid. 
And when you think about, um, cause I mean, all of us, you know, any of us would love to, you know, see that statement. Got a lot of zeros, a lot of money sitting over there. Right. And, but that money is slowly dying. Number one, but mm-hmm. it's st- stagnant at best, but it's slowly dying because of inflation and things like that. Um, in, in, in the reality of things. And so there is a such thing with as much as you love to see a lot of money sitting in your bank account, there is a such thing as having too much cash in the bank. So what do we do when we have, um, well, a- actually at what point should we think, Hey, I got too much money over here. I need to do something with it. And then what should I do with it to make sure it's working for me? Really? When you have cash sitting in an account, that uh, you can find a better use for it that is safe, right? So in in my particular business, I have an operating account. Um, On a monthly basis, um, in one of my projects, I may have a need for $20,000, $30,000. Let's say I'm I'm something great. I sold the asset. I have a a big check coming in. I don't need $100,000, $200,000, $300,000 sitting in an account. Right. That's just too much. That's that's being too liquid. Right. Unless I'm saving up for another move or another acquisition. But you want to you want to have enough cash that you can at least be operational uh, for two to three months. And then beyond all that, I think that you're at this threshold where you're not optimizing your cash value. So what I tell people to do, number one, is um, once you understand the highest and best use of, of your ROI, right, whether it's in your business or whether it's investing in other businesses, we have we have uh, ROI in our business. But one of the great things that we like to do is invest in other business. Our XX Capitals, we like to see those the, the new up and coming businesses that are on the horizon. How can we put one hundred thousand uh, in, in, in their system to give them a greater ROI, which is going to allow us to grow even more, right? So it's really looking for those opportunities where you can get excess cash and put that cash to work. The wealthy do not have a whole bunch of cash sitting in a bank account. So we definitely don't want to do that. The reason why is, is very simple. When you have money sitting in a bank account, especially now that we just had a $2 trillion stimulus, the, the stimmies that went out, everyone's talking about the stimmies, but you know, the deflationary effect of that is significant. So just having money sitting in an account, you're going to be able to buy less and less for your dollar. And this is what's going to happen going into the future. Um, we know the taxes are going to go up. The cost of living is going up in most cities in the U.S. So it's just something to be super cognizant of if, you know, if you if you're financially literate. So I want to translate what I hear you say and you can correct me if I've gotten any of this wrong, but I want to be sure that we understand what you're advising here. So you're saying, you know, if I have, you know, two to three months um, worth of runway sitting in the bank account, that way I can cover any, you know, household operational expenses or, hop, or just business expenses to just make sure my life is, is good, you know, two to three months out at all times. Um, then that's enough money, you know, in the general sense to um, just have sitting in a bank account. But far above that, I should probably be thinking about safe ways to put that money to work so that um, it's not, again, you know, slowly dying in a bank account or, you know, at best just being stagnant and not, you know, generating any real returns. 
Absolutely, Will. You hit the nail on the head. One of the things, and I'll, I'll tell you what we're really big into right now is the DeFi space that we're working on a number of different protocols that's going to allow people to get an incredible return compared to the bank, right? We know that the bank doesn't pay a great amount of interest. Um, if you get 1%, you're super lucky. But we're looking through DeFi we're, um, and developing smart chain, um, developing smart contracts on the blockchain. We're going to be able to get people a higher rate of return for their interest. For those people that are closer to retirement that don't want to take as much risk, we have a low risk uh, and uh, vehicle that's coming up and you know, we'll stay tuned for that too, but I'm excited about it. But that's exactly when you have excess cash, you can do, you need to think of things like that. And, and, and that's being an innovator. That's what we're looking to do is, is innovate. So this is a live conversation we're having a lunch table. Shout out to everybody watching on lunch table and or Facebook live. And we do have a conversation, uh, a, a question, I'm sorry, that came in um, on Facebook and it asks, uh, what industries are most primed to take advantage of for new enterprise? If I wanted to start a business and I don't know where I should be looking for a lot of fresh opportunity, where should I be looking? Any business, first of all, if you have a business and you do not have a technology business, one of the things about Afrotech is that, you know, our community, we're so creative, right? So one of the things that I love doing is talking to entrepreneurs and, and just telling them, you know, we, there's getting them to think global instead of thinking locally. Like you may have a regional business, but in this day and age, if you do not have a technology business, a business that's scalable, a business that you can create a business model in one city, let's say New York, and scale that out to the rest of the country or possibly the globe, you're in a business that's going to lose eventually because um, the way that we're positioning, if you if you don't have that component, if you don't have that technology component, you're gonna it's gonna be big fish eats little fish. And what's going on right now in this country is there we're experiencing one of the greatest procedures or processes of wealth creation. What's happening in Silicon Valley is you know do you have people that are coming from the ideation stage, just the just having an idea. And in three, four, five years, they're becoming billionaires, right? And it's just that. Many of them have executable ideas, but many of them, depending on the circles, just ideas are getting funded and that's creating these huge valuations. And I, we need to, the Afrotex Fair and everyone else in our community, they need to, to tap into that. And that's what we wanna do, provide access to capital, helping them get there, bringing them through the different stages. Um, you know, that, that, that's key. That's part of our mission and our core values. Uh, we got another one in um, from Facebook and it says, what about retirement accounts for entrepreneurs or employees with no 401k? It seems as if you're without a 401k, you're screwed in terms of the limited amount you can fund an IRA. That is true. So, you know, many people that are a lot more mature, older, 60 years old, you know, looking at retirement right now or looking for these vehicles that they can get in and get a, a, a less risk averse return. Right. Something that basically allows them to just get income to live off of. I love the DeFi space, and that's what we're going to go into. You, I know you wanted to talk about crypto. I just think that the space is changing so many different. It's going so fast that from 
the first introduction of Bitcoin in, in 2009 to where we are now, we're at a point in time where it's mature enough where I think that those going into retirement that are they can um, that maybe have a small 401k can sit back and possibly get somewhere between 10% of low risk return. And a lot of people can live off that. You know, you take your IRA or you take a house or you take a, a, a second home that you probably can't rent and get a, a decent IRA. Uh, ROI on and convert that into these low risk, high yield investments. And you can you can walk right into retirement comfortably. So I'm excited about that space. It's still early. There's more developments coming on, but I guarantee you in the next year, you're going to see some incredible products on the marketplace. So uh, you mentioned something earlier. I wanted to make sure I came back to, and that was about crypto. And I, I wanted to make sure we got into this, particularly because you're a CPA and you're deep into educating um, our community on, you know, opportunities for, for wealth generation. And so I want to talk about, you know, so for folks who are listening to this and they are new to the conversation of crypto, they, they may have heard about it, hear a lot about it probably, but still don't really understand um, what it is, how to get involved safely and um, perhaps still have a lot of skepticism about crypto. Um, if you could, as best you can, give kind of like a, you know, a mini 101 for folks who are laymen and are not super sophisticated with regards to cryptocurrency, not just Bitcoin, but also like Litecoin, Filecoin, um, you know, Ethereum, things like that. How, what should we understand before we get in, you know, too deep? What should we understand about what cryptocurrency is? And what should we just in general, whether or not we're going to invest, how should we understand what cryptocurrency means to the future of wealth creation and uh, transactions, period? Absolutely. So um, crypto is just another asset class. Right. So a lot of people, a lot of people hit me like, I don't like Bitcoin or Ethereum or, you know, these other coins because I can't spend it. I can't go into a store and spend it. That's the total wrong way to look at it. Um, you need to look at it the same way you would look at any other stock. It's just the asset class or gold. Um, it's really a hedge against inflation. Right. And uh, it's a, it's an asset class that is potentially on the precipice of disrupting all, all economies as we know it, right? So we don't, it's, it's, you know, you can take Bitcoin, which is, you know, I'm not a huge investor in Bitcoin. I like uh, Ethereum mainly because there's application to it, right? There's, it's linked to a, a blockchain that has open source coding and allows for a number of derivative products that, Going into this next year, you're going to see everything about to be tokenized. So for the layperson, I think that it's important that they, if you're not into Bitcoin, please don't be disillusioned and stop there. Dive a little deeper and look at some of these other currencies that are out there. And I don't know why we call them currencies. They're just different asset classes that if you find something that's interesting to you, dig a little deeper. There's lots of scams out there too. Like people create these coins and then over, you know, overnight something happens. Um, and, 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 you know, we've seen that. So we want to, we want to avoid that, but I want people to realize that is another source of wealth creation. So do some, do some research into it. 
All right, so somebody in the chat uh, wants you to um, define, because you, you said this word a few times, DeFi. If you can define DeFi for our listening audience, um, but I'm also going to add some things to that um, because I want to understand and I, I want to make sure our audience understands like the, the potential tax implications of um, realizing an, an upside with regards to crypto. So if I put in you know $1,000 in Bitcoin last year, and I don't know what is whatever is up to now. Let's say let's say forty thousand dollars, and um, so I've had some gains, perhaps. Um, what are the tax what are the tax implications of when I go to withdraw that money? What does it mean? Like how how do I know what I'm supposed to pay in taxes? Do I have to pay taxes at all? Is this something yep. I can just you know keep it moving on? Explain to us the tax implications of realizing right. an upside with regards to cryptocurrency investments. Yep, I'll do it real quick. First of all, we'll start with DeFi. DeFi is just short for decentralized finance. Basically, it's it's a system that is going to revolutionize finance as we know it. How you borrow, how you lend, um, how you get derivative products. All of that is in, in the ecosystem of of DeFi. It's basically. Uh, a way in which you can get a contract, we call them smart contracts, with someone that's on the blockchain. So that allows you to, to the blockchain is just a ledger of transaction that's on a bunch of, it, it's it's decentralized. So it's on a bunch of computers, meaning that whatever, should something happen to one computer, you're able to see this record and everyone is able to verify it. So that's it, that's it in a nutshell. Now, as far as the tax implications of investing in cryptocurrencies, my strategy is if you have, uh, if you hold, if you have a holding for greater than one year, you get taxed less. You get taxed at a lower rate than if you have, uh, a lot of people are in and out of cryptos, right? So if you're in for less than a year, you get taxed at your normal tax rate, which tends to be a lot higher. But if you hold it for greater than a year, you're taxed at the capital gains tax rate, which uh, is a lot lower. Right. And in the new Biden administration, he's trying to raise it a little bit. I'm not a fan of it. I don't think it's going to pass um, Congress. But ultimately, I think that um, that's the way you want to think about uh, crypto. You want to think about it as a long term gain. And then going back to what we said before, how you structure your accounts, if you purchase um, crypto under a business and you know it's set up the right way you can also the gains can be offset by a lot of other things that you're doing right a lot of operational expenses or other losses because if you're investing just like you're in the stock market some years you may take a loss and you can write that off if, if you know if you have that long-term uh, perspective Black Tech Green Money is a production of Blavity Afrotech on the Black Effect Podcast Network and iHeartMedia. It was produced by Morgan DeBond and me, Will Lucas, with additional production support by Love Beach and Marissa Lewis. Special thank you to Micah Davis since the cars of Anyan, you know, like the wine. Yes, that's his real name. Learn more about my guests and other tech disruptors and innovators at afrotech.com. And the video version of this episode will drop to Black Tech Green Money on YouTube next week. So tap in. Enjoy your Black Tech Green Money. Leave us a five-star rating on iTunes. Go get your money. Peace and love.
State Farm Insurance knows that understanding and investing in our cultural identity is paramount in protecting our future. We know what it's like to go from nothing to something, to wish that we had better financial literacy when we were younger. Luckily, State Farm is here to help. With funding programs like Project Ready, which is committed to education achievement and has already awarded over $11 million in scholarship offers to black and brown youth since 2021. State Farm believes that being better neighbors creates better communities. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Do you dream of a healthier life, but education feels out of reach? Trinity School of Natural Health makes holistic education accessible with online programs to fit your busy schedule. Trinity School of Natural Health makes holistic education accessible with online programs to fit your busy schedule. Trinity School's Certified Natural Health Professional Program is the perfect entry point to gain foundational knowledge to empower yourself, your family, and your community to live healthier lives. Turn your passion into a career. Visit trinityschool.org for more info now. Got my PrevNAR 20 shot. It's a pneumococcal pneumonia vaccine. For us wise folks, it helps protect. I'm 19, strong. And asthmatic and at higher risk, get vaccinated. But but nothing when grandma speaks. Grandson listens. 19 or older with chronic conditions like asthma, diabetes, or chronic heart disease, or 65 plus, you may be at higher risk for pneumococcal pneumonia. Prevnar 20 can help protect you with just one dose. Prevnar 20 is approved for adults to help prevent infections from 20 strains of the bacteria that cause pneumococcal pneumonia. Continued approval may depend on a supportive study. Don't give Prevnar 20 if you've had a severe allergic reaction to the vaccine or its ingredients. Adults with weakened immune systems may have a lower response to the vaccine. Side effects include pain and swelling at the injection site, fatigue, headache, muscle, and joint pain. For full prescribing information, please call 1-855-213-2138 or visit Prevnar 20.com. Ask your doctor or pharmacist about getting vaccinated with Prevnar 20, even if you've already received another pneumococcal pneumonia vaccine.